through the hallways of academia and on the face of the moon the footprints of conquest haven't left us any room to say Greetings, and welcome to the 57th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News. I'm April Now, WLRN's Canadian member who's come out of hibernation to help bring you the best feminist content on the airwaves. Happy New Year to all of our WLRN listeners and supporters. It has been quite the year as we all hunkered down due to the coronavirus and all that it meant for our lives in 2020. Despite everything, the feminist movement made strides this past year that we wish to highlight for the record and for generations of feminists to look back on. In this edition, we will take a look at the achievements of the feminist movement in 2020 and the aspirations and hopes for our movement as we greet 2021. You'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with Joey Bright, lesbian feminist from the Bay Area who produced the fantastically successful online event called Can I Get a Witness? last summer. That event featured the voices of top feminists, experts, and citizens from around the world battling gender identity ideology. Joey spoke with Thistle about feminist successes this past year and her plans and recommendations for feminist activism in 2021. As a finale to the show, be sure to stay tuned for Sekhmet Chial's Year in Review in WLRN's commentary segment before we wrap it up. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Emily Ann Lorenzen with Women's News from Around the Globe for this Thursday, January the 7th, 2021. Saudi Arabia's women's rights activist Lujain Hathlal has been sentenced to five years and eight months in prison by the Kingdom's Special Court for Terrorism Offenses. The sentence includes the time she has already served and a two-year and ten-month suspension, meaning that she could be released in about two months. Her sister Lena said that Lujane was tried and convicted in a rush trial that, quote, failed to provide evidence beyond Lujane's well-noted activism and failed to properly investigate the torture she endured in prison. In Iran, A bill called Protection, Dignity, and Security of Women Against Violence has been approved by the Cabinet and will be submitted to Parliament for a vote before it becomes law. This bill has been under review since September 2019. 
The bill criminalizes actions and behaviors that cause, quote, physical or mental harm, unquote, to women. It also upholds rights and freedoms guaranteed to women by obliging government agencies to criminalize their denial. Women will also be protected from blackmail and, quote, considers legal punishment to those men who abandon their spouses without any rationale, unquote. Law enforcement agencies will also be required to create special police units with trained female police personnel to identify cases of violence against women. The bill also recommends establishing a fund which provides medical expenses for victims of violence and training services. This step forward is seen as a victory for women's rights advocates in Iran who have been campaigning for this legislation for more than a decade. An all-male parliamentary women's committee of Kuwait has been met with outrage online. Kuwait's parliament is elected by the people and is made up of 50 members who serve a four-year term. 29 female candidates ran for the general elections on December 5th, and none were elected, leaving the country with an all-male parliament. Women in Kuwait fought for suffrage for decades and finally gained it in 2005. Kuwait ranks 122 of 153 in gender equality globally, but in comparison to Middle Eastern and North African countries, Kuwait ranks third for gender equality after Israel and the United Arab Emirates. In Ireland, the Harassment, Harmful Communications, and Related Offenses Bill was signed into law. The law will make it a crime to take, distribute, publish, or threaten to distribute intimate images without the subject's consent and with the intent to cause harm, which will be punishable by up to seven years in prison and with an unlimited fine. If there is no intent to cause harm, then the maximum sentence will be 12 months in prison and a 5,000 euro fine. The law will be known as Coco's Law after Nicole Fox, who committed suicide after years of online harassment at the age of 21. Australia's world first cyber watchdog, the eSafety Commissioner, is set to pass laws that safeguard people experiencing online abuse, and the laws would require social media platforms to take down offensive material within 24 hours and to provide the identity of those who posted the content. Adults who post harmful material, like revenge porn or death threats, can be fined up to $111,000. If the laws pass, then Australia would be the first country to require websites, apps, and social media platforms to take down abusive material. Online services would be required to report to the eSafety Commissioner on how they are fighting online material, such as child abuse, terrorism, and, quote, digital lynch mobs, unquote, and they will be fined if they fail to report. The law would also protect children who are victims of cyberbullying. The Scottish Parliament voted to replace gender with sex in a rape support law. The 2014 Victims and Witnesses Act allows victims of sexual assault to request an examiner of a particular gender. 
but Labor MSP Joanna Lamont moved an amendment to the Forensic Medical Services Bill to change that to sex because gender is too ambiguous. Members of the Scottish Parliament voted unanimously in favour of the Forensic Medical Services Bill. The bill also allows victims of sexual assault who are 16 or over to seek medical treatment without having to first report the attack to the police. In Denmark, sexual intercourse without consent will now be considered rape, regardless of the presence of any physical violence. Despite Denmark's reputation for being one of the best countries for gender equality in the European Union, there is a, quote, pervasive rape culture, unquote, according to Amnesty International. In Europe, one in three women have experienced physical and or sexual violence, and these figures have increased since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. This law reform makes Denmark one of 12 countries in Europe, including Germany, the UK, and Sweden, to recognize sex without consent as rape. Argentina's Senate passed a law legalizing elective abortion. Abortion will be legalized up to the 14th week of pregnancy, and it will be legal after that time in cases of rape or danger to the mother's life. Argentina is the largest Latin American country to legalize abortion. Argentina's feminist movement has been fighting for legal abortion for more than 30 years, and activists hope that this bill's approval will influence other Latin American countries who are dominated by the Roman Catholic Church to follow suit. Despite the progress this law makes for women's rights, the term woman has disappeared in the language used in the law and replaced it with person. Maria Jose Benita, feminist activist from Argentina writes, quote, what neither the local nor international press said about this law is that it removes the word woman from the Argentinian penal code and replaces it with the neutral functionist pregnant person, unquote. On January 1st, California allowed incarcerated transgender people to ask for a transfer to a state prison or detention center that matches their gender identity. The law also requires state prison personnel to record the person's self-reported gender identity and gender pronouns during the intake process. Prison staff, contractors, and volunteers are required to address the individuals by their chosen names and pronouns. This bill was authored by Senator Scott Weiner and signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom. The Twitter account, Women's Voices, criticized Senator Weiner's bill, stating, quote, Women in California prisons will be forcibly incarcerated with male offenders, putting them at risk, due to the political endeavors of two men, Gavin Newsom and Scott Weiner. No one asked the women what they thought of this, unquote. Senator Weiner responded to the account directly, saying, quote, One, trans women are women, and we followed their lead in crafting this legislation. Two, we met with incarcerated cis women and incorporated their feedback. Three, trans women are brutalized in men's prisons. If you're ignoring their safety and pretending they're not women, which is transphobic, unquote. He faced criticism online for this tweet. 
Hawaiian Representative Tulsi Gabbard and Representative Mark Wayne Mullen introduced the Protect Women's Sports Act of 2020 bill, which seeks to strengthen the sex-based protections of Title IX. Representative Gabbard said, quote, Title IX is being weakened by some states who are misinterpreting Title IX, creating uncertainty, undue hardship, and lost opportunities for female athletes. Our legislation protects Title IX's original intent, which was based on the general biological distinction between men and women athletes based on sex. Unquote. If the bill passes, then institutions that receive federal funding will not be allowed to, quote, permit a person whose biological sex at birth is male to participate in athletic program or activity that is designated for women and girls, unquote. Representative Gabbard left the House of Representatives this month after deciding not to run for re-election. Representative Mullen won a fourth term in the House in November. Congress passed the Stop Female Genital Mutilation Act, and it now waits to be signed into law by the president. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that more than 510,000 women and girls in the United States have had FGM or are at risk of it. This bill had bipartisan support, and according to the senior advisor to the advocacy group Independent Women's Voice, Andrea Butner. This bill had bipartisan support, and according to the senior advisor to the advocacy group Independent Women's Voice, Andrea Botner, quote, the success of the Stop Female Genital Mutilation Act is one case where politics was set aside for the protection of women and girls. Its bipartisan spirit brings hope that it will be the gift that keeps on giving. Unquote. J.K. Rowling was mentioned as one of the winners of the 2020 Russell Prize for her essay on sex and gender. She was awarded for her well-written prose, her bravery, and her honesty. The judge, Amal Rajan, stated, quote, We should all applaud bravery in writers, even those with whom we disagree. And Rowling's essay contained moments of both real beauty and piercing honesty as when she revealed that she is a survivor of domestic abuse and sexual assault, unquote. He also criticized the abuse she faced after publishing the essay. Suzanne Moore's essay on why she left The Guardian was also mentioned as an act of bravery. On January 5th, Channel 3000, a local news media outlet in Madison, Wisconsin, reported on quote-unquote transphobic stickers in the Tenney Park neighborhood. The stickers were primarily black and white with a dictionary definition of the word woman printed on them. News Channel 3000 called them examples of quote-unquote hate speech and reported that the city parks department and Alder Patrick Heck are condemning the stickers as acts of vandalism. Meanwhile, quote-unquote transgender defender stickers depicting a male middle finger in pink and baby blue stripes were not mentioned in Channel 3000's report. There are dozens of the pink and baby blue male middle finger stickers posted in the same locations as the adult human female stickers around the neighborhood. 
to see pictures of the variety of trans rights activists and feminist stickers popping up in the sticker war, check out WLRN's Facebook, Twitter, and Spinster pages. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. Share your news stories and tips with us by emailing wlrnewscontact at gmail.com and let us know what's going on.
That was Enya with her song Only Time. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with Can I Get a Witness producer Joey Bright. Miss Bright shared her top 10 feminist success stories of 2020 with WLRN while describing how we can build the movement into 2021 and beyond. To hear the full WLRN interview with Joey, please click on our Interviews tab on the WLRN WordPress site. What are some of the wins from 2020 in the feminist movement? Well, some of the wins, and I, I wanted to start with her, just like I did, uh, almost, almost started exactly with her. Jennifer Billick has probably, arguably, one of the most important uh, blogs in the world. She has been touted as sort of the world expert at this point in terms of the deep dive that she's done into the money. We always say follow the money. I uh, contacted Jennifer and I asked her to write about in January of last of this of last year now she started her blog called the 11th hour blog.com she made her first blog post on January 23rd and it was done as a means to confront the power structure behind the gender identity industry and that's what people don't realize this is an industry and she said it's not personal this is all about commodifying us in her own words, she said, I wanted to alert people that humanity is running out of time to act against the corporatists behind it. We are standing on the precipice where our sex roots as humans are currently being colonized by the corporate state for profit. Humans are the last frontier, considering the corporatists that have already ravaged most of the globe and so many other species. In order to dismantle and colonize humanity, our roots in sex must be broken. We have to be unmoored, and that is the process underway at this juncture in the guise of a human rights movement. We are in the 11th hour and must act quickly. And I think, and I may hearken back to that, I think that that is, if anything, that we saw at the end of 2019 where you had Lear Keith, you know, on the podcast talk about that. We, we have to act quickly. And one of the things that I wanted to say is get off Facebook, get off social media, make the connections that you need to there, and then take action. We can no longer be looking at the wax my balls guys and the ones with bad wigs and dress. Who cares? We know they exist. While you're busy spending your time doing that, they're creating legislation. So learn how to organize. That's, that's what I'd like to say about that. One of the wonderful things that happened, and it came out of Can I Get a Witness as well, I mean, um, Sasha Ayad out of Texas has been working diligently since she has been working with gender dysphoric youth for years now. She joined with Stella O'Malley, and they've launched a new podcast called Gender, A Wider Lens. It launched on December 18th, and it's exploring gender, identity, and transition from a psychological perspective. And we all know that the affirm, affirm, affirm model doesn't even go into what all the other underlying issues are that come up for gender dysphoric youth. So that, again, it's called a wider gender, a wider lens. And I know these links will be included, you know, along with this later. From MK Fain, who created Spinster, she said that shortly after the Can I Get a Witness conference, we launched the 2.0 version of Spinster, and we now have over 15,000 users. Also, someone who saw my talk at Can I Get a Witness reached out to help fund the creation of a nonprofit dedicated to protecting women's freedom online. There's not much to say about it right now. We're still in the very early stages, but I believe it will launch 
in early 2021 from Brazil and Eugenia Rodriguez created a website, No Corpo Certo, which is born in the right body or in the right body. She sent me this and said that the Brazilian ministry published a statement against early interventions from trans medicine. She says, I talked briefly about this statement on the letter to Kiribel I wrote to our campaign for No Corpo Certo. Another thing out of Brazil, Brazilian Congress passed a law to avoid harassment against women in politics. There is a whole link to that law project. If you want to see more, go to nocorporcerto.com. You'll see what's happening in Brazil. From Kara Dansky, Kara said, we, the, the WHRC, which is the Women's Human Rights Campaign, I have a whole list of the countries and everything, wonderful launch. As a matter of fact, the, I will, as of this recording, WHRC, across the globe, there are 32 countries who have joined. I'm going to run through them quickly. If there's anybody that you think I miss, Argentina, Australia, the Bahamas, Bolivia, Brazil, Canada, Croatia, Denmark, France, Germany, Iceland, India, Indonesia, Iran, Ireland, Italy, Mexico, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Peru, Portugal, Serbia, Singapore, Slovakia, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Ukraine, the United Kingdom, and of course, in the USA. The WHRC USA distributed their version for the Equality for All Act, which was an alternative to the current Equality Act. Now, this stuff can be seen on uh, the WHRC website links will be put up to that. The other thing that Kara spoke about is that she said, we filed this amicus brief in the case of Hecox versus Little in the Ninth District uh, Court, Circuit Court of Appeals. So all of this and signing on and getting people to sign on to the Women's Declaration of Sex-Based Rights, really important. Lots going on there, a lot going on. And actually, after listing all those countries, the other thing that I wanted to say is that the LGB Alliance out of the UK, they really went hard this past year. And we've got a whopping 15, again, as of this recording and still growing, 15 LGB alliances have pop popped up across the globe with several joining in the coming months. There's an LGB Alliance Canada, LGB Alliance Ireland, LGB Alliance USA, Spain, Mexico, Brazil. Iceland, Norway, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Wales, Australia, Serbia, and now we also have Germany. So the original LGB alliance that, that spawned this plethora of sister organizations around the globe, in December, Polish LGB alliance was formed. The Polish fem feminists and activists concerned about the harmful elements of transgenderism and its impact on women and homosexuals gave a good pushback on the left leftist misogyny and homophobia occurring within the movement. As reporter K.S. Jolly reported for Feminist Current in a year-end article, she said the sheer scale of the protests have drawn international wonder and admiration. It's hard to disagree with the New York New Yorker's assessment. These protests are starting to feel like a revolution. One of the highlights for me, and I think maybe for you as well, Thistle, and so many people that would be seeing this, and particularly women, 
is that almost at the moment of lockdown, two women get together and they decide we got to get something going. We got to get something going online and we're going to do it weekly. It's out of London. We're going to credit Joe Brew and Bernadette O'Malley for coming up with this idea of the Women Human Rights Campaign, inviting women from around the world every Saturday. And here I am in California. I have to wake up sometimes 6.30, wipe my eyes out if I want to see it live. That's if I want to chat with other people on the side. The free Zoom events that they set up practically the moment that lockdown started. Was it April? I forget the first one. Yeah, it was a, right around that time. The Feminist Question Time is what they call it. I love the title of that show, too, and the live aspect. And it feels yeah. like a good old-fashioned, like, radio show, in, you know, where you, you feel the audience. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's fantastic. And it, it was exactly what we needed at that time because all of, all of us were responding to the coronavirus and having to lock down. So it was so prescient, I thought, of them. And what I did was I, get, I did a little interview with Joe Brew. I asked her some questions, and so I'm just going to go through that. I asked whose idea it was, and she told me herself and Bernadette. Um, and um, the, tech, the tech team that they had to get together, I said, what obstacles did you have in the conception and the production? She said, paying for the Zoom webinar subscription is quite expensive, so we have to raise money to support this. I know this from the expenses that I had to do for Can I Get a Witness? I won't even go into the production stuff on that was off the charts. Ate up every stimulus payment that I ever got <laughs> in the United States. She said, thinking up that format that would work well for women from as many parts of the world as possible. I said, what has been the most exciting and or surprising thing that has occurred in the webinars with the webinar? She said, it's exciting that many women who are isolated have now found a space to network. The chat function changes the dynamics of an event because instead of being rude, chatting adds a new complimentary element to the webinars. I said, what might be planned for 2021 that either wasn't done in 2020? She said, lobbying of the United Nations and networking around the CSW. I didn't ask her what that was. Do you know what the CSW is? Commission on the Status of Women. There we go. Also, actions around the Olympics in summer 2021. I said, what is the biggest ongoing challenge for the weekly Zoom meetings? Making the webinars international is hard. 3 p.m. on Saturday, GMT, is the middle of the night in Southeast Asia and in Australia. And that is, if you, if it, nobody has seen these webinars that are coming out of, you know, the WHRC, you can see on their own YouTube channel. They will put these up later on. And there are a plethora of these. Now you just see women from around the world. It's amazing. Again, it is English speaking. So sometimes what's really amazing is seeing somebody from Serbia or whatever speaking English and you know that it's not their first language. The patience that's there. Joe Brew is one of the most incredible moderators that I have um, experienced around all this stuff. Another wonderful thing that came out of the U.S. is the Women's Liberation Front, WOLF. In January and February, Women's Liberation Front hosted two conferences challenging the misogyny of the modern LGBT movement. Their bold criticisms of the misogyny and incoherence of transgender ideology 
provoked an internet firestorm resulting in calls for the Seattle Public Library to breach the First Amendment and cancel one of the talks. The women of Wolf were not coward, however, were not cowed, and continued to push this issue to the forefront of American politics, commissioning public opinion polls that show majority support for women's spaces and working with the state legislators to protect women's rights. By the end of the year, Wolf's efforts were rewarded when Democratic legislator Tulsi Gabbard introduced a House bill to keep women's sports in sex-segregated public schools and colleges, which leads me to the sports uh, news that we had, which was the World Rugby Association in October. They, are ba they banned men who identify as women. Of course, this is my phrasing, as we're all trying to move away from the oppressor's language, right? Everywhere, universal, universally. I know that it's something that many of us have spoken about and we continue to, and it's changing more people as we take back the language because the language is so important because we know that changing language and how it's changing in the dictionary even, that women are now broken into categories. The word woman is already, these are the things that become law. And so we have to pay very close attention to this stuff. The minute that we see legislation going through, we have to act on things because it affects everything. So in October, the World Rugby was decided to ban men who identify as women from competing with elite women at the international level. This is the first World Sports Federation to break with the International Olympia, Olympic Committee, which is the IOC. And this is the position um, that is based on the game due to the stakes uh, that are very high for the risks of injury. World Rugby has become the first international sports federation to adopt such a policy after finding, quote, at least a 20 to 30% greater risk to injury factors when a female player is tackled by someone who has gone through male puberty. <laughs> and then the other thing around sports that was exciting one month later, Save Women's Sports in, Austral in Austral Australasia. It's not just Australia. It includes other, you know, I think that Tasmania, I believe, falls into that. I could be wrong. I'm sure you'll see comments later in the post. But Save Women's Sports Australasia was launched. I got that from the Save Women's Sports. Uh, actually, Linda Blade, you know, out of Canada. One of the most tremendous, of, of course, when you asked me about this and you said, you know, you wanted to come up, you wanted me to come up with about 10 things, you know, that happened and they had to happen in 2020. And I thought, of course, the two big things was, was World Rugby and, of course, the Kira Bell case and Mrs. A case out of Tavistock. It, this was this was amazing. I mean, it's like so many of these things that have gone on where women have written and said, you know, this like this made me sane again. You know, it, this is this is incredible. But Kira Bell and Mrs. A versus Tavistock Gender Clinic and Portman NHS, which is the national health system in uh, the UK. Children under 16 with gender gender dysphoria are unlikely to be able to give informed consent to undergo treatment with puberty-blocking drugs, the three high court judges ruled. This was on December 1st, so right towards the end of the year, and everybody went like, what a great way to end the year, right? The NHS said uh, the, the case brought against Tavistock and Portman, NHS Trust, which said it was disappointed 
but immediately suspended such referrals for under 16s. And they started to change the language on the websites and everything and the horrible organization Mermaids. They, they came up with no proof. They admitted that everything they had was anecdotal. They, they were not prepared for this. The NHS said it welcomed the charity the ruling would bring. One of the claimants, Kira Bell, said she was delighted by the judgment. Ms. Bell, 23, from Cambridge, had been referred to the Tavistock Center, which runs the UK's only gender identity development services, also known as GIDS. She was there as a teenager and was prescribed puberty blockers at age 16. She argued the clinic should have challenged her more over her decision. That's where the psychotherapy, that's where the, you know, don't go for affirmation. They should have challenged her more over her decision to transition to a male as a teenager. In the ruling, Dame Victoria Sharp, sitting with Lord Justice Lewis and Mrs. Justice Levin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, he said, it is highly unlikely that a child age 13 or under could be competent, would be competent, to give consent to the administration of puberty blockers. It's one point. It's also doubtful that a child age 14 or 15 could understand and weigh the long-term risks and consequences of the administration of puberty blockers. And then they added, in respect of young persons 16 and over, the legal position is that there is a presumption that they have the ability to consent to medical treatment. Now, of course, nobody's you know thrilled about the 16 and up thing, but you know, it's another battle, isn't it? It's going to be something else. This was huge. On the lighter note, I want to say there's an incredible, you know, that we know that there were lots of wins out of the UK. I mean, I think that the UK in big part has been our litmus test for, for what we need to be watching out for here. Turf Island. Turf Island. I love that. But they don't surf over there much, do they? <laughs> Let's go turfing now. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, my favorite quote is from journalist Josephine Bartosz out of the UK. First of all, hail, hail to Josephine Bartosz. She has written for a variety of publications, multitude of articles going after these, these gaslighting freaks. My favorite quote of the year came from her in terms of a journalist. She had many great articles, like I said. And this one, she said, Biological sex cannot be changed by clothes or pronouns any more than a pair of Christmas antlers makes one a reindeer. Love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. On the other positive side, and there are just two of these that I'm going to mention, we know that a plethora of YouTube videos are coming out. They're really just in diary form of these detransitioners or rather these women, most of them are very young, who decided to start going on either puberty blockers to cross hormones, which is a given, and then right to double mastectomies, which got this cool phrase of top surgery. No, they're double mastectomies, radical mastectomies. And they didn't go anywhere. Transition means to go somewhere. All they did was start to take on an identity, which many, many lesbians have done throughout time. I mean, some lesbians have passed as men in different ways for time. There's nothing to really go away from other than these young women that are saying, they're, they're called detransitioners, but they've literally, they're stopping the hormones. They're trying to start the process of getting back, you know, really their natural body without being medicalized and without taking drugs. 
it's not really different than you know deciding that you're going to go off of other drugs and you're you're in recovery so a lot of these young women i would say they're in recovery and tons of youtube channels we have seen pop up and many of those what i like is that many of those young women if they can get away from just doing the daily diary of their thing and and really move again to activism and connect up with other women if they are in fact whether they're lesbians or not that they uh, that they connect with other female role models that they realize are out there in the world they can feel good about their bodies it all goes back to feminism is my feeling around that it's the idea of if you once you feel that core of self-love and you accept your body and it goes back to jennifer billick's work and that bring back Jennifer again because I didn't realize how many of these women like Lear Keith also come out of this the green resistance movement the attachment to nature the attachment again and the birthing movement that Courtney Cat Earth I've learned so much from her about that centering of you know womanness if you will or femaleness and the, the thing is, with all these things going on in 2020, it really woke up a, a huge number of people, it, you can tell. And why do I say that? Because I don't know where she's located, but this woman named Karen Davis comes out of nowhere to me. She's got a YouTube channel. With a, she's, only, she's got almost 4,000 subscribers at this point. And I hope by the time that this people see this, she's got a channel called you're kidding, right? <laughs> That's it. You're kidding, right? Almost with 4,000 subscribers. Take that up there. I'm going to mention one more person, and I'll tell you why I've picked these two YouTubers out of all of these YouTubers that have been talking about this, this gender ideology gaslighting. The first gay man that I know that has been doing, like, on the ground oh my God, using his skills that he has with tech, not only that because he's been an actor, out of the UK, out of London, is a guy named, he goes by Mr. Menno. That is the name of his YouTube channel. He's, he's, he's got just a little over 2,000 subscribers, but he gained them very quickly. He's got the Puberty Blockers song, and that's literally what it's called. So between Karen Davis and Mr. Menno, why I picked them is because they have combined incredibly serious subject matter with humor and it's worked to great effect it's growing it helps to grow a movement when we have different kinds of things whether it's media that involves music you know you well know that you have been doing that thistle for a long time bringing in music bringing in art and in this way you know him with his tech skills karen just talking like for real just she's for real and these people, again, for me, it's like they kind of came out of nowhere and they're doing amazing work because, again, it builds more attention and people go, what's going on? What is going on here? Because I think, she think, Thistle, that most of the population really has no idea. And it's the parents. Besides, the lesbians were first, but they never listened to us. So I was screaming about this for years, but, you know, we don't get listened to. There were lots of notable medical highlights that came out of 2020. And I got this from Twitter and the SEGM, S-E-G-M. I got this from their Twitter. They said, uh, following the 2019 review by Professor Carl Hennigan, which concluded that there is no quality evidence based to support the use of hormonal and surgical interventions in young people. Two systematic reviews, one from England, the other from Sweden, came to similar conclusions. 
Consequently, Finland became the first country in 2020 to issue new guidelines for treatment of gender dysphoria for young people. That's just one piece of something. So they're talking about Finland. In Sweden, broad coverage of the controversy, including the documentary, The Trans Train, produced by Sweden's national public television broadcaster, appears to have decreased demand, decreased demand for gender reassignment among teens. Awesome. This is, uh, which began to decline significantly in late 2019. So this, this is something that, you know, they, they got to see in 2020. So that's a nice thing. In the U.S., the issue of adolescent onset gender dysphoria was brought to the attention of the general audience by Abigail Schreier. Irreversible Damage, chosen by The Economist as the book, the, the, one of its books of the year. Abigail has handled the way that she's had trolls go after her after her book, everything, with a grace and a beauty that is only, I would say, equal to J.K. Rowling. There's another thing that I have to mention. We saw in going back to December 2019, when J.K. Rowling put out her famous tweet, you know, dress how you want, blah, 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 right? And then the attacks happened. She was kind of quiet for a while, and she's working on the Ichabod all this summer. She got trashed so badly, she came out with an essay in June. Everybody can see J.K. Rowling's essay online. It is beautiful. She's much kinder than I am about certain things when they talk about, you know, feminists not being kind. She's incredibly kind. The way that she speaks, everything about that. And actually, that was, I lost a 20-year friendship out of that. I'll just throw that in as a personal note. I know I'm not the only one. I see this going on on social media all over because of can I get a witness? And like I said, this will, I've gotten emails. I, I opened up sometimes my DMs and Facebook. I'm brought to tears because women are still, you know, realizing that the strides that we make, they'll be like a, a slump and then maybe two more things come forward that are just beautiful. But these are nuggets, right? And a lot of these things come, we have to continue fighting them. The thing that I wanted to end with in terms of beautiful, this beautiful thing happened in 2020 from a standpoint of being an activist. And I know I mentioned earlier, I'm sort of telling people, get offline and get to some action, you know, join with people. Of course, we have to be online to connect, but then do something. There's a young woman out of Israel, the work of Alex Aaron. Out of Israel comes one of the more formidable campaigners of women's rights. Alex has taken on surrogacy. Dangerous policies taking place against women in the Israeli Defense Force, known as the IDF. And she has also created one of the most radically powerful, ongoing, interactive tracking systems of gender clinics across the globe. 2021, let's rock it. Be careful with your pocket. Be careful with what you say yes to. And these relationships that we're forming are powerful. They're really powerful, so let's keep building. And thank you, Thistle. So speak out, speak over, speak under, speak through the noise. Speak loud so I can hear you. I want to know you. I want to hear your real voice. I want to hear your real voice. Your real voice.
You are listening to WLRN. Brought to you by the totally excellent radical feminists at Women's Women's Liberation Liberation Radio Radio News. News. We can almost unanimously agree as women around the world that 2020 was a horrible year. We all had our lives disrupted and significantly changed by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is still ongoing, and so many of us find ourselves worse off now at the beginning of 2021 than we were a year ago, especially when it comes to our professional and financial situations. We all have health concerns and anxiety we didn't have before the pandemic began, and we can't be sure when or if life will return to pre-pandemic conditions. Eight months of social distancing, working from home or unemployment, the shutdown of public places and a virtual elimination of group recreational activities have taken their toll on many of us emotionally and psychologically. 2020 was a year of great loss. We lost jobs and money and things we had looked forward to. Many women lost people they cared about to death, whether through COVID or some other disease. We are still in a state of grief, and we will be for a while. Most of us seem to be cautious about 2021, and that makes sense. We don't want to get our hopes up, but we do want and need 2021 to be better than 2020. I don't think many of us can take a repeat of last year. On the bright side, 2020 did see valuable feminist action take place around the world. South Korean feminists formed their country's first ever women's party, a culmination of the last few years of intense feminist movement building there. Thanks to those feminist women, South Korea also legalized abortion during the first 14 weeks of pregnancy in 2020. Mexican feminists displayed some of the most powerful and memorable direct action of the year, when they protested in the streets of Mexico City against the femicide that continues to plague their country. They marched with signs and face paint full of passion and anger. Some of these women took over a federal building in the capital and turned it into a women's shelter. Polish women protested in their streets when their right-wing Catholic government further restricted abortion access to near-total illegality. Polish feminists also formed an LGB alliance organization to represent them as pro-woman, pro-homosexual activists with objections to transgender ideology. Afghani women were granted the right to have their names printed on their children's birth certificates and other national identification for the first time in Afghanistan's history. J.K. Rowling built on her original 2019 tweet defending biological sex with a well-written piece published on her website explaining her take on the gender identity issue. Despite all the death and rape threats and the abusive backlash she experienced on Twitter, and the ridiculous hit pieces that liberal media spewed all over the internet in response to her, she remained steadfast in her position through the rest of the year. She even defended lesbians on her Twitter page for her millions of followers around the world to see. British courts ruled that children under 16 cannot consent to puberty blockers, thanks to detransitioner Kira Bell. And just last month, Argentina finally legalized abortion. Thousands of women cried and cheered with joy in the streets when the news broke. 
Argentine feminists fought long and hard for that win, and at last, two decades into the 21st century and almost 50 years after the U.S. legalized abortion, they can enjoy it. So 2020 was not a total loss for women and girls on the political front. The struggle continues, as it always does, but we can take a moment to be grateful for these victories and for the fact that women worldwide still care enough about themselves to fight male oppression. I, for one, am not sure about setting any expectations for 2021 on the feminist front. As I said before, a cautious approach to this new year makes sense. We're all hoping it's a year of recovery from the events of 2020, and if we do mostly recover by the end of 2021, I think we should be satisfied with that, even if we do nothing else. If 2021 is even half as unpredictable as 2020 was, we're in for challenges we're probably not prepared for, and if we're lucky, we'll experience some unexpected positive developments too. Maybe 2021 should be a year that feminists focus on nurturing ourselves, replenishing our inner reserves, reflecting on what we experienced in 2020 and how we might move forward. We should continue to play it safe with our physical health for as long as the COVID pandemic rages, and we should definitely understand that just because the 2020 calendar year is over, we haven't automatically healed from its trials and losses. Be gentle with yourself and the women in your life in 2021. Look for peace and pleasure wherever you can find it, even if you continue to live in survival mode for a while. There's always going to be a never-ending stream of things to be pissed off or worried about if you're a woman. In 2021, allow yourself to take a mental break from all that as often as you can. Thank you for listening to WLRN's 57th edition podcast for this Thursday, January the 7th, 2021. I'm April Now. WLRN would like to thank our guest, Joey Bright, for sharing her views on the highlights of the feminist movement 2020 and what to look for in 2021. Thank you so much, Joey, for speaking with us. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the donate button. A big WLRN shout out to our continuing listener sponsors. Thank you so much for donating every month. If you can't donate money, but you have some time on your hands to give, we're always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, post transcripts of our shows, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Danny Whitaker signing off for now. And I'm Segment Sheowl. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we'll focus our program on a feminist analysis of women and dance. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for edition 58 on Thursday, February 4th. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interview are released, please sign up on the WLRN WordPress site. Keep fighting male power. See you on the flip side. This is Jenna DeCuardo signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. Find us on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. 
Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you. So please comment, like, and share widely. Patriarchal kiss. How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home?